Welcome, nerdy knights of the well-rounded table to Bohemian Geek Studies, where we take those extremely dorky dives into our favorite fandoms. I'm Padawan Learner and Defender of Droids, Sarah O'Connor. Welcome. Hello there. I'm Colleen McMillan, Rebel Scum collaborator and Jedi Master, and drinking from my fanboy tears glass today, y'all. Because this is not going to happen. Perfect. <laughs> And I'm your pirate Jedi, Anders Drew. And I'm your ambassador to Naboo, princess of prequels, Flo Siegel. You know what, team? We truly run the gamut here in terms of rank, from Padawan to Knight to Master. But no matter that rank you carry, dear listener, one thing does remain constant. Much to learn we still have. Very true, very true. And today on Bohemian Geek Studies, we are digging ourselves even deeper into the last four episodes of The Mandalorian Season 2. Beware, there will be spoilers for all episodes of the show to date, plus some wild speculation about the future and several other Star Wars properties. So if you're all caught up on Mando, grab your favorite drink from the cantina, snuggle up with little baby Grogu, and sit back in that stolen Imperial light cruiser. Yeah, that's right. We're all pirates now. (laughs) (laughs) And settle in as we dive into just what the dank ferric happened during these last episodes. So continuing the tradition from our Clone Wars pods, we're heading into the Jedi archives to check out our seven holocrons, those delicious repositories of knowledge you know and love from our coverage of Clone Wars that, you know, really could have helped Mando in his mission. So starting things off, we're going, doing the setting times and locations. So where are we? And frankly, where are we going to be going? Colleen, do you want to start us off? I will. I'm going to go with time because last time we covered kind of timeline issues. Well, Dave Filoni freaking threw a moderate Molotov cocktail into the timeline by saying in a Vanity Fair article that Rebels finale might not be within the timeline where we think it is, which was established in a canon book called Women of the Galaxy. Of course, Filoni can change this if he wants. He is one of the creators. But now we don't know if Ahsoka in the episode of the Jedi is Ahsoka the White yet. Has she gone back to Lothal to collect Sabine and go look for Ezra? We don't know. We're just going to have to see. Maybe on her new show. Mm-hmm. Flo, how about where have we been? So episode 13 had us finally find Ahsoka on Corvus, which was a desolate planet that was probably lush and green at one point, but now is just like not that at all. Still but, green. What? Still green, but not lush. Was it? It was like a dead green. Yeah, dead like green. Like brown green. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I like, I like dead green. I'm going to go with that in my Crayola box of uh, colors. <laughs> dead green. But Morgan Elspeth destroyed most of the ecosystem, so hence the dead green. We do get some greenery when Ahsoka and Grogu have their chat, though, which was really nice to see. Episode yep. 14 took us to Tython, where the Jedi Temple was located. Grogu sat on the seeing stone and reached out through the force so cutely before he had to nap, uh, hoping to connect with any <laughs> remaining Jedi... Hmm. we'll be talking about that (laughs) yeah and whether luke is the only one who heard has yet to be seen but at least one heard him so i guess that's good in episode 15 we got to see the karth and chop fields where mayfield was serving his time that was super cool we also went to morak where the imperials had a small refinery outpost and this one was a jungle planet but still had some inhabitants who were none too happy to see the juggernaut tank rolling through their town um really sad part of the episode yeah 
And then Bo-Katan and Casca were on an unidentified planet at the beginning of episode 16, but there were a number of refineries. We were thinking it might be Lethal, but no confirmation on that one. And then we spent the rest of our time on Gideon's Imperial Cruiser or Slave One, which loved both of those. So Sarah, do you want to tell us who is here and why do we care? Yeah, so for the second Holocron, we're just going to kind of briefly recap because um, just to introduce the new characters to the show again, Morgan Elsbeth, the Magistrate of Corvus, Ahsoka freaking Tanu, which was absolutely fantastic to see, Boba Fett, another champion, uh, Valen Hess, that piece of Imperial crap, and then of course, <laughs> Luke, Sister Forkin, Skywalker. Just, just absolutely wild. Absolutely wild. And so I kind of want to take this chance, like, let's let's discuss the Jedi elephant in the room. <laughs> um, let's do it. So Luke Skywalker, I mean, you know, we've had a few days now since the finale to actually digest this, think about it a little bit more. And I got to say, I, I just get more and more on the Luke hype train the more I think about it. And the I'm more so time glad. I spend with it, I I'm very glad. I'm glad one of us is. <laughs> I had, so I had... Like, I think the same feeling of disappointment that you guys described when I first saw the X-Wing. And then just seeing the, the actual scene, igniting the lightsaber, that gloved hand, all of that. It was just like I was back to being seven years old again. I mean, it was just incredible to me. And I think that uh, we're going to get into some of the criticism on the whole choice later, I believe. Um that's going to come in Critics Corner. But I also want to say that I think some of that criticism actually, like the decision to bring a Skywalker back in this way at this point, actually comes from a place that shows the strength of the franchise. Mm. So for basically about 20 years, Star Wars was pretty much only the three movies. That was it. It was the trilogy. And so if you wanted to experience a Jedi, Luke was your option for all of that time. Now we are getting more into a place where there can actually be kind of like a Star Wars, quote unquote, for everyone. Don't misread me on that. We still have a long way to go on the representation front. Right. But we're taking those steps in the direction. So, but now we do have more options. Like there are other Jedi in the franchise that are out there that they could have potentially brought in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, taking that just a little bit further, we've also spent a lot more time with those other characters. We have spent six out of the seven seasons of Clone Wars, plus several episodes of Rebels with Ahsoka Tano. We have spent seven seasons of Clone Wars with Obi-Wan Kenobi, and he's getting a spin-off series, and we're definitely excited to go back and still revisit that character. Luke Skywalker, like, despite the fact that he had like 20 years as the only Jedi in the, gal- in the galaxy, pretty much, his Jedi training takes place over the course of about 20 minutes right. spread over three films. Um, maybe 25 minutes, I don't know. I'm basically basing that calculation off the fact that Yoda has a total of 12 and a half minutes of screen time in Empire, and that's where the bulk of that takes place. You get one more Dagobah scene in Jedi, and you have like one or two scenes with Obi-Wan in A New Hope. And the missing time that we have with Luke, that we don't get to see with Luke, basically between Empire and Return of the Jedi, is about two to three years where he develops over that time. And 
that two to three year span is probably the most interesting time in a Jedi training. That is the time that we spent with Ahsoka during Clone Wars. Basically, the Clone Wars lasted like right around three years, I think. So imagine like you, you meet Ahsoka Tano in the like pilot episode of Clone Wars. She gets like a single lesson from Anakin and then she shows up as she does in Rebels. And you just have no idea how she got there. That's basically what we have with Luke. Yeah. I think yeah. that's what um, happened with Anakin too in the prequels. And why we yeah, did the definitely. Clone Wars show. We missed 10 years of Anakin training. And then, yeah. yeah, we jumped right over the Clone Wars, like where he's like forged and kind of really, we get so much more development there. Mm-hmm. So I can understand if like, you know, people consider Luke to be a little bit like, let's let's put it in the past, like, He's done, it's over. He had 20 years with very little. Now we have other things. Like, I understand that. I still just say, I, I'm just, I'm here for it. <laughs> I'm just here for it. And I do still, I mean, I'm totally down for them to make a, uh, you know, Luke Skywalker Jedi Hogwarts show. Although I will throw it out there. Disney, if you decide to do that, please recast the role. Don't do the, don't do the mapping face thing for a whole series. Don't do that. <laughs> So that's kind of my that's my personal take on the on the Skywalker thing. I think it it made sense, and but I do understand people who want something different. And we're at, we're in a good place where there were other there were other potential options when it comes to the actual plot mechanics. Maybe not as many options, but I think I'll get to that once we start discussing what's potentially coming in season three. That actually like really calmed me down, Anders. Yeah, very soothing. <laughs> and I think that was so valid. And you know, obviously, like we do have a lot of criticisms, but at the end of the day, like we love Star Wars and we want more Star Wars. And Star Wars is just exciting to all of us here at BGS. And so, you know, we criticize because we love it so much and because Preach. Yes. If you, you know, don't critique something, I don't yeah. think you're thinking deep enough about it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. We criticize because we care. And we think it's so beautiful that people care so much about Luke and that caring so much about Luke has given us this today and has given us this whole world. So we are, you know, obviously indebted to Luke forever for the rest of our lives. And it's awesome that people are so excited to see him again and to have that character arc that they've been missing for so long. I think that's super awesome. We feel really excited for that. Yep. I'd love if they brought Mara Jade in and made Luke the uncomfortable, flirty farm boy because he is so awkward and winning <laughs> in that kind of situation. I think that would help him a lot. Like, rom-com it up with Mara Jade, please. We need it. We need I mean, it. He, he had such game with his sister. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's been a while since I've been the queen of queries, so I think it's about time for us to kind of address some of the questions that the team and I have been processing because I very much wanted to appreciate the Luke appearance as much as or at least as half as much as everyone else who was really on the Luke train seemed to enjoy and so we've been processing some of my questions and so you guys might have been thinking about them ahead of time first and foremost we see the X-wing fly in and the foils are down And I'm assuming that that means because Luke has the fortitude and the sense literally and figuratively to determine that there is no threat for him 
coming on and landing. Would you all agree with that, that Luke is powerful enough that that X-Wing foils, you know, not being in the fight pattern indicated something regarding his force sensitivity? I think it's part of it, but you also can't land, I don't think, with the X-Foils. Yeah, that's out. what I was thinking. Okay. So okay. I think it's partially it, like he knows Grogu's calling for help, but also Grogu's like, don't worry, there's only some droids outside. <laughs> <laughs> so then that's another thing. So when when we see Baby Yoda, Grogu, reaching out with the Force, that's to make an initial connection. And one of my questions was, how powerful is Luke to reach across the galaxy and not only get that initial connection, but maintain the connection? Because he arrived as if Grogu was like a GPS Grogu. So why don't we talk through whether or not that was totally plausible? So first and foremost, let's just reestablish is Luke able to reach across the galaxy and make those kind of uh, phone calls, if you will. I mean, in legends, he kind of can, it depends on how close he is to the person. Like if it's Leia or someone in his direct family line, he has a really close connection. And if he can, he can feel like major events happening. Like if someone he loves dies, he feels it immediately. So it's possible, but in canon i'm not as sure well we would we would have to assume I mean, in canon now because of the mandalorian it's absolutely possible i'm wondering if pre this show we've seen it before i think possibly it's i mean it might take a little a little like mental gymnastics to fully i think piece everything together that i'm kind of thinking about here but i think you start with the idea of number one how strong and powerful Grogu actually is kind of naturally. Right. Now we know he's been suppressing that to a degree yeah. in an attempt to hide. But once he gets on that seeing stone, which in itself seems to be some kind of amplifier, he's basically opening himself up. Yep. And we do know later, much later in his life, in fact, the last thing in his life that Luke does isn't broadcast himself all the way across the galaxy. Now he had to be able to know what planet they were on at that point. My guess is that, as Colleen said, the member of his family, he probably was able to lock in on Leia, who also has that degree of force ability. So I think when you kind of put those things together, when Grogu broadcasts himself and probably to a degree leaves that connection open. Yep. And he kind of becomes his own mini beacon that Luke can kind of sense out that way. Yeah, and that kind of, oh, go ahead, Anders. No, no, no. I was going to say, we also, I mean, we also, it just from a, tech standpoint we also still don't know how those tracking fobs actually work <laughs> so. was, that's exactly what i was going to say i was going to say like where did the tracking fobs go could somebody have just been like yo luke you looking for a small green jedi like yeah. we got a tracking fob for you <laughs> also i love the guy. idea i love the idea of this the like seeing stone being an amplifier i'm just like now picturing grogu like on a subwoofer <laughs> yes Oh, one other thing about the seeing stone, this is totally off topic, but, you know, talking about, you know, him needing a nap, I think that's like all of us when we get off of our conference calls at the end of the day, he oh, hangs yeah. up and just immediately collapses. He's, he's got the Zoom fatigue. Yes. That's probably why he's so damn tired. He's like, <laughs> I've been broadcasting all day. It's just what I was going to say. So, like, we don't see Grogu faint, but he's, he surely does look tired, even though he's in his handcuffs. So my little headcanon is that Grogu, during this whole battle, 
is broadcasting as best as he can to Luke Skywalker, his location, so that Luke can actually make it. We never see Grogu pass out. We never see him at least manifest the powers visually so that we can see them. But how plausible do you think it is that he's been broadcasting fervently this entire time? Because I think that that's totally plausible for supposed totally. to believe. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Well, he knows he can't reach out to Din through the Force, so he's like... Who else? Oh, whoever lojacked me on Tython. <laughs> yep. I can yell them. Be like, ah. Do do any of you find it suspicious that Din did not for a- ask for any teaching <laughs> credentials at all? <laughs> I think uh, I think the entrance was were credentials enough. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. That's still fair. ask them. Are you a Jedi? Are you yeah, an angel? Excuse me. <laughs> Speaking of speaking of angels, Flo, um, unless there are any other oh. further questions, why don't we talk about returning characters? Yeah, let's do it. Thank you for that compliment. Yes, of course. <laughs> yeah, so number one, Dr. Pershing is back, and he is 100% fine helping Din and the crew. That guy sang like a canary, which was a little bit surprising. Uh, he's always willing to sell out. This dude has no allegiances whatsoever. <laughs> Even when Din first came to get Grogu back in season one, he was all like, I didn't hurt him, I swear, it wasn't me, not me, don't look at me. And yeah, again, (laughs) he just like told them everything in this season. He's just like, yeah, absolutely, you want to know it? Let me tell you. He was a a little almost like a, uh, this whole thing with like the New Republic being interested in him, potentially. Kind of giving off some of those like Nazi scientist vibes that we needed to win the Cold War. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so true. Um, we also saw Fennec come back, who's my fave. That was, like, amazing. Uh, like, we knew she was probably going to come back because, like, why would you sign her on for one episode? That would be insane. So that was awesome. And the fact that she's now, like, a little cybernetic, love it. Uh, we saw Bo-Katan and Costco Reeves again. We don't know where Axe Woves went. He just, like, peaced out. He had to go do something. Maybe take a nap with Grogu. Who knows? Uh, and then Mayfeld came back. So that was that was really great, too. And yes, yes. now we can answer friend of the pod Keith's question from last time, which was, will we lose anyone this season like we lost Quill and IG in season one? And the answer to that, negative. Nope. Nope. <laughs> no one died except those dark troopers. And, you know, they, they're, sorry, Sarah, block your ears, but they're not, not alive. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we also lost the Lambda shuttle pilots, but they were douchebags, so that's fine. And the cruiser's crew, although we have at least theoretically said goodbye to Grogu for a while. Mm-hmm. A-, a while, forever. Who knows? He did promise, but a lot of other people have promised to see each other again, okay? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and Shmi. that's like, we yeah, barely that's saw like you, a- Shmi. They <laughs> did see each other. Just- yeah, but he didn't free her. He did not. I'll come back for you, mom. I promise. Okay. Came back for like one second and he doesn't count. Thanks, bud. Uh, also, we do have to know and raise a toast to the Razor Crest, who we did lose. Uh, a true one, a good friend. And Keith also asked us, what ship will Din get next now that the Razor Crest has met its end? So what and Slave think? One is going to be busy somewhere else in the Book of Boba. So. Yeah. I guess he's just going to get a gauntlet class. Mandalorian ship, maybe, or he's he's only hitching rides, guys. I think he's on a ride chair. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I was gonna say, I think this would make a great like you know series of mini webisodes is him going like ship shopping. 
I like it. Or what about like comedians in cars getting coffee sort of situation? Yes. Just like Mando in different lifts, like intergalactic lifts being like, nope, this lift driver, horrible, one star. Mandalorians on ships drinking spotchka. Exactly. Yes. I like it. Here Make it, it happen, Disney. Well, I think now we can move on to our cool culture. Um, we're going to actually combine Holocrons 3 and 4 to talk about the Mandalorians and the Darksaber and our cool culture and cool items. So kind of to kick things off, Mandalore was a planet located in the Outer Rim territories and was the home world of Mandalorians, a fearsome and war-mongering people, always at outside with the outside forces or each other. They even fought with the Jedi and raided their temple during the fall of the Old Republic. This was when Pris Vizsla's ancestors stole back the dark saber. Bum, bum, bum. We also know the Mandalorians wear distinctive armor, which, <laughs> Get it. <laughs> and they were feared throughout the galaxy and had political influence over 2,000 other star systems. So that's kind of a lot. Yep. And the years of war left the planet inhospitable, forcing the Mandalorians to live within domed cities, which like kind of like ballparks. Maybe they get a lot of snow. <laughs> and we think that the destruction of these cities is why Boba Fett says that the Empire turned Mandalore to glass during the purge, meaning no one could live on world. That's right. And towards the end of the last set of these kind of Mandalorian civil wars, a pacifist regime was actually swept into power led by our favorite Duchess Satine Kreez. Always raise a glass for Satine. Um, those who refused to give up the warrior way were actually exiled to the moon Concordia, where Pre Vizsla was the governor before enduring parts of Clone Wars. Now, during the Clone Wars, Satine's new Mandalorians were ultimately overthrown by that renegade Sith Lord Colleen's Danger Snack, Maul. Um, who used Prime Minister Almec as his mouthpiece while he kind of rules from the shadows. Soon to be Imperial Viceroy of Mandalore, Gar Saxon, was Maul's lead super commando. <laughs> who doesn't love a super commando? Ooh. <laughs> and the Empire would rule the planet after the Clone Wars ended, but we're not sure how or when, frankly, Bo-Katan was um, taken away from her power and the Saxons were put in power. She was put in place as regent after Maul was captured by Ahsoka Tanu, being the logical next in line to rule after her sister Satine. But she wouldn't follow Imperial orders and was overthrown. And maybe we'll get to learn more about that in Mandalorian season three. I'm hoping, I'm hoping. So before A New Hope, episode four, Bo-Katan continued to resist the Empire with her night owls until joining forces with Sabine Wren to destroy that Duchess named after Duchess Satine. Not a great look for Sabine there. Arc Pulse Generator. This weapon could be used to kill any Mandalorians wearing Beskar armor, basically cooking them from the inside out. Not great. It's like a uh, sous vide. Yeah, they are yes. sous vide. <laughs> just disintegrated, guys. They're just all dead. After destroying the Duchess weapon together, Sabine gifted the Darksaber to Bo-Katan, whom she deemed worthy. Bo refused at first until the surrounding clans, including former enemies, clans Vizsla and Kreez, voiced their support for her. Even Fen Rao, who was the spokesperson for the protectors or the royal guard of the leader of Mandalore, stood with her. 
Believing Mandalore, too difficult to control, our favorite dude, Sheev Palpatine, super cool guy, I don't know if you've heard of him, initiated the Great Purge, which wiped out an unknown number of Mandalorians whose best car was then stolen, and it's thought to be an almost complete genocide of the Mandalorian people. Again, Sheev Palpatine, a winner. What a guy. He reduced their unemployment to almost zero. Wow, he is honestly a liberator. For real. He's keeping shit together, guys. It's true, you know? All right, so somehow Bo-Katan did survive the Great Purge, but without the Darksaber. She fled Mandalore and has been on the hunt for Gideon and the Darksaber ever since. Gideon's exact role in the Purge hasn't been detailed to us yet. Um, We're not sure how exactly he got the Darksaber from Bo-Katan. Presumably that will be something that they could detail in the future on the Mandalorian. I mean, why else would you be leaving Gideon alive? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Word. <laughs> but, but speaking of that Darksaber, let's get into our cool item. So we all love the Darksaber here. This is probably yes. like the fourth time we've gone into like some of this, but I think um, I think we're going to get into some actual much more detailed details of this particular blade's history here. So. Although not completely like the Elder Wand, the Darksaber sure does have a lot in common with it. Made by the very first Mandalorian Jedi, Tar Vizsla, the Darksaber has a checkered and very bloodied history. So since we're going to be getting into more into Bo-Katan a little bit later, let's actually just track the Darksaber ownership after Pre Vizsla has passed away. Yeah, I love this. So um, Maul wins it from Pre Vizsla and is accepted by some of the members of the Death Watch as the new ruler of Mandalore as per custom. And man, did he love that throne chair. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Who wouldn't? He lounges like nobody else. (laughs) Um, Palpy wipes the floor uh, with Maul on Mandalore, who is wielding the Darksaber in Clone Wars Season 5, but he doesn't claim it. So, you know, first in the rule of property, does this negate his ownership? We're not sure. These rules are flexible, malleable. Flo, what's up next? So then Maul gets the Darksaber back because his Mandalorian, I'm sorry, his Maldalorians. What? That is crazy. <laughs> his Maldalorians. Sorry, I can't. Just pick it up off the ground where Palpy left it. Like, yep. why? Yeah. <laughs> no clue. No oh no clue if anyone defeats Maul when he's the leader of Crimson Dawn, but Vader might have sent him running after the Inquisitors couldn't handle the former Sith. Maybe Kira? What if Kira got it? I'm all about Kira. I'm a big Kira head. So anyways, then Maul maintains the Darksaber until Ezra chooses to remain behind on Dathomir and save Kanan and Sabine instead of going with Maul. Because Maul chooses to leave it behind, does that negate his claim lawyer o'connor yeah i mean this is it's so funny because this is literally like property law it's really really funny (laughs) that's why i was like i'm like sarah's gonna know about this (laughs) i'm like having like flashback nightmares so i mean (laughs) as long as he picks it picks it back up it's still his but if he abandons it then he has totally gotten rid of his title like pursuant to old property laws i think it's been well, a Ezra picked it up from inside his house. <laughs> yeah. Well then, well then, if it's inside his house, well, Colleen, why don't you tell us what happens? Next? Yes. So then, Sabine Wren picks up the dark saber on Dathomir and takes it back to the ghost, where she hands it over to Kane and Jarrus. Later, she trains with the blade and learns to wield it. 
But her mother, Ursa Wren, great mom, guys, says she has no right to the weapon because she didn't best Maul in single combat. Mm. Mm. Well, mom. Ursa says no. Sabine later totally owns Gar Saxon on this kind of icy lake on her home planet, which appearing to everyone in her clan besides her mom, who knows, and that's fine. It looks like she defeated him in single combat, so she earns it in their eyes. Yeah, and nowhere in property law does it say, if your mother says you didn't, go to your room, <laughs> you're grounded. <laughs> Anders, what's up next? So Sabine wields the Darksaber for a little while after that until she finds a worthy owner because she was having no real interest in being this symbolic figurehead leader of Mandalore. And she ultimately bestows it on Bo-Katan, who asked her to spare the storms, the Stormtrooper and Tiber Saxon, Tiber Saxon, during this raid and destruction of the Duchess weapon, saying she doesn't want Sabine to fight like the Empire but rise above that behavior, this proves to Sabine that Bo is the right one to lead their people, and she she hands over the dark saber to Bo Katan. That's so great! Oh, I love it. Bo reluctant to accept leadership again after she'd already been ousted by the Empire once after the Clone Wars, only takes the Darksaber with support of the various clans in attendance. The Vizsla and Chris clans are united here. It's crazy. They're on opposing sides normally. Like, I still get chills watching this. That scene. should be enough. That it. should be enough. That should be enough. I mean, they're the two, I think, highest houses of Mandalore. So this is a really incredible thing that's happening. Well, Hello, at, what do we got next? At some unspecified time and place, Moff Gideon defeats Bo to earn the Darksaber and wields it until 9 or 10 ABY. Um, and this has left some deep emotional scarring in Bo that has yet to be covered on the show. So I guess we'll find out more hopefully soon. Yep. And then last but not least, Din, without really knowing and appreciating the consequences because he was busy being raised in a cult, wins the Darksaber from Gideon by defeating him in single combat, much to Bo's and R's chagrin. Like, I just feel like Bo should have said something to Din. Be like, hey, heads up, Don't if you defeat him, like, that's going to be a problem for me. Like, maybe she should have let him know, because there's no way he would have just known. Right. Right. So, well, no, no, no. <laughs> I, I repeat, I repeat, by the terms of their agreement, Din said, you help me get the child, you will get the Darksaber. That was the time for both to be like, yo, wait, there's some archaic rules and like people's yeah. mothers who we have to check in with first. <laughs> that was the time, Bo. That was Saran's like, do you win it this time? <laughs> <laughs> so we'll leave the Darksaber's ownership um, up in the air for now. For now, let's move on to our fifth holocron, homages and Easter eggs. Flo, you want to kick us off? Sure, yeah, we've covered pretty much all of the Easter eggs for the end of the season, so we're going to shout out to me and all gamers, I guess. <laughs> this season seemed like a love letter to all of Star Wars, focusing a lot on the prequels and the Legends video games. Um, my favorite callback, man, that's so tricky. Well, my favorite moment during this run was just when they announced Hayden, but that didn't have to do with Mando. <laughs> <laughs> we'll count it. I think that counts because it's counts. so huge. I, yeah. I think it does. But also, I guess the like the, the sonic boom situation, that mm. like mm -hmm. just that whole audio like really brought me back to Attack of the Clones. So yeah. I love that. Do you guys Very have a good. favorite? 
I don't want to take all the glory. <laughs> Anything, anytime they talk about Django, like I'm very interested yeah. in Django and his story and Boba's story because he's his clone son. <laughs> like, I want to hear <laughs> yeah. more about them. Give us more. This yeah. doesn't count as a prequel callback at all, but wow, was I so glad with how they just seamlessly integrated Ahsoka into the story. I know, mm -hmm. I know it may depend on people's viewership, whether or not they've had a pre-existing relationship with Ahsoka, but I thought for any viewer, they did it seamlessly and beautifully. I think it was exciting regardless of viewership. Yeah. Like, even yeah. if you're, like, not super attached to her, like, I'm not super attached to her, it was still exciting to see her because you still know who she is. Yeah. So it was, it was great. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna piggyback off that one for mine and say the kind of more Easter eggy pieces to that episode, um, namely the small glimpse we got of Morai and the Lothcat. Mm, <laughs> yes. We're probably my favorites. But I think you guys, you just, you hit on something that I think we wanted to just address. We've, we've sort of addressed this before, but want to just say it again, like that these things that they're bringing in, they are still exciting. Whether or not you have pre-existing relationships with people like Bo-Katan, the Darksaber, which we just went into a very extensive history on, it's still pretty cool. And they did a relatively good job of kind of just bringing you up to speed and getting you to realize these are important. We'll explain it later. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah Boba calls her princess. Like, and they're cool. Important. <laughs> right. Like these are, and so there's a lot of discussion this season because they did bring in a lot more callbacks and Easter egg type things this season than they did in season one. You know, they brought back Boba Fett. <laughs> um, the fact Boba the knows about Mandalorian politics is pretty yeah. wild. Like yeah. he knows about Mandalorian shit. He knows so... way more than Din. <laughs> He's like not even an accepted <laughs> Mandalorian. <laughs> so there was a lot of chatter this season about like, can you still enjoy the show without knowing all of this extensive back history that that comes from watching Rebels, Clone Wars, reading the novels, everything, watch Rebels. Um, there it is. There are those, <laughs> there were people out there who were say that they kind of felt cheated that they didn't have all that backstory. But I think that really just comes down to, it's there if you want to see it. If not, yep. you can still very much enjoy the show. Yep. And if there are people out there who make you feel like less of a fan because cool. because you don't know this stuff or because you haven't seen all these things, we just want to throw out one giant fuck those guys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're going to drop our one F-bomb for PG-13 rating That's on that. <laughs> just say, screw, screw that type of people. Yeah. Yeah, I no mean. Magusa gatekeepers. I was going to no. say, gatekeeping fandom is gross and don't engage in it. I, I will say like what I really appreciate about the BGS team is that I'm never made to feel less than of a fan because I haven't seen all of Clone Wars or Rebels or you know read a ton of books like Colleen and Anders and like I'm still a fan and they've never been like no you're not you're like a B-level fan <laughs> or like a C-level fan because you like Hayden. Uh, <laughs> Like, that makes you an A-level fan. You are a hard, you are a true ride or die. We that just, we, we all like what we like and we engage with things in different ways. And that's what makes us interesting humans. So, yep. you know, like what you like, be excited about what you're excited about. Go deep, go hard. Don't do whatever you need to do to feel Go happy. deep, go hard. <laughs> do whatever you want to do. I mean, I'm still myself, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, we love you and you have a home here with us at BGS, no matter what kind of fan you are. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Well, I think 
I think this is a good place for us to move on to that six holocron Darth Plotius, a.k.a. what is that dramatic irony for the episode? What do we know that the characters don't? And um, kind of, even though this isn't a critic's corner, this is one of the points that I kind of make when it comes to, is Din a good guardian? Um, because apparently we're the only ones who know Luke Skywalker's name, um, because no one in that cruiser's bridge asks him. We, the audience, literally know everything about Luke, or at least a decent portion, depending on how much you've watched. But no one thought to question who he was or why he had the right to take Grogu besides the fact that he was good with a lightsaber. And Grogu didn't seem to hate him because, remember, you know, Ahsoka was able to communicate with Grogu and Luke, therefore, is able to communicate with Grogu. But, I mean, we're just going to be taking the Jedi's word for it that everything's mm -hmm. going okay in Grugu's head because, you know, quote, are you a Jedi? Yup. Okay, that seems fine. Take my beloved child to parts unknown. Have fun. He eats <laughs> everything in sight. Enjoy. <laughs> I mean, I will say, I don't think the galaxy has like care.com where you can like vet some babysitters. <laughs> I wish. I wish. And I mean, he was pretty impressive coming in. Like, I don't know. I would probably trust trust yeah. he just saved all their lives <laughs> but here's here's the thing i mean we understand what a red lightsaber means and we generally understand what a green lightsaber means but for all din knows he could have been a dark user he's only That's seen true. the white ones he's only seen ahsoka's white yeah lightsabers. and the dark saber and the dark saber yep 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 Anders, go ahead, take it away. Yeah, so I want to just go into a little bit on this decision. Again, this decision that it looks like to straight up remove Grogu from the board, potentially just like removing him from the show for a long period of time now. This isn't something that's 100% new. We said goodbye to Sabine for about half a season, right in the middle of Rebels. So, and generally speaking, I, I love Grogu. He is the most adorable thing ever. <laughs> I, I, will, I will take all the content you make with him. I'm kind of glad that he's going to potentially be gone for season three um, in terms of the story. Look at Flo's so, face. I know. So unfortunately, growth for Grogu is limited, just given the nature of his very slow aging, like right. as far as we know. Maybe he's going to have a growth spurt and just suddenly turn into like physically 50-year-old <laughs> Yoda. Who knows? Um, and yeah, we saw him like kind of learning some things, like his behaviors do start to develop he starts to get a little bit of control of his powers but ultimately the show's called the mandalorian it's not called din and son yep although I'd if they want to if, if they want to make a din and son sitcom like again i'll totally watch that so and i remember actually i was i definitely wasn't complaining about it at the time and i'm not actually saying i'm complaining about it now <laughs> but i do remember several times especially during season one and a few times in season two just being like why is Grogu here? Why is he tagging along in that like egg carrier? Like you're basically pushing a stroller through a war zone and yeah. he's just like coming out of it fine. Like it doesn't matter. And I'm like, is this really how this, how this would go? Um, and now that we have this dark saber set up, this potential war to retake Mandalore for the future of the Mandalorian people. Again, not really sure if Mandalorian the planet is salvageable at this point, but I'm sure we'll find out. I love the idea of focusing just on Din alone for that, not just Grogu and actually doing that without Grogu. It'll allow us as the audience to actually invest more in Din as a character. I think Flo, you mentioned it on our 
on our season finale that you don't really care about Din as a person. And that's a, ultimately, that's a weakness in the storytelling yes. that they're going to need to address. Um, and so taking that, not only removing him from the board, but also the choice to have it be Luke Skywalker that takes him. I mean, I think just in terms, again, of like timeline and story that just makes, generally speaking, the most sense. Um, but it also, when I start to think about season three, it focuses my questions moving forward. So if Ezra had turned up, if Cal Kestis had turned up, if some other brand new Jedi had turned up, all of my questions would be like, who the hell is this? Where is he taking Grogu? What is happening? The, the fact that he's going, that he's been taken by Luke, like, like I said, I'm totally down for Luke Skywalker, Jedi Hogwarts to see that story. But generally speaking, like, I know that's a known quantity. I know where that is. Like, okay, Grogu's over here. I know what's happening with him. And my questions are focused on, okay, how is Din going to react to losing him? Like, what is that going to be like? What is all going on with the Darksaber and Bo-Katan? What is it going to mean for Din to kind of relearn what it means to be a Mandalorian? Right. Now that he's like out of this cult and he's developed in these way. So this is the stuff that I'm actually excited for moving forward. And I think that you can't really do that when all the attention is focused on, admittedly, the universe's absolutely most adorable, precious MacGuffin. Right. Yeah. If they wanted to move the narrative from Grogu Din to another narrative, this is what had to happen. Absolutely. It absolutely. all depended on their story arc and where they wanted to go. Yeah. I don't have anything more to add. I feel... Badly for the viewers who don't know or didn't know before Googling that Luke was busy establishing and collecting other Force mm -hmm. user younglings um, because that adds a little leap of logic that might not be accessible to those viewers. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to tying things off neatly with a bow, I mean, that totally did it. My only remorse is that I don't have the same sort of anticipation or excitement that I had at the end of season one that I do mm -hmm. now. It's a little too tidy for me in a galaxy far, far away. That's, that's really my own critique on that. Okay. Yeah, I think my only question, so I, I actually really like everything that you said, Anders, and I do think that knowing more about Din without Grogu is going to be huge coming up, and I think it is necessary. I fully agree with that. My only, like, fear is that they're going to really erase all of the legwork that they've put in on that Grogu-Din relationship because we're not going to see him. And I don't know how much, you know, can, can Din write him letters? Can he, like, send him, like, a little hologram Valentine's Day card or, like, birthday <laughs> card? Because That's a no-no know. for the but Jedi. The issue is, like, attachment is forbidden, right? Anakin said this. Attachment is forbidden. Possession is forbidden. Compassion, which I would define as unconditional love, is essential to a Jedi's life. So you might say we're encouraged to love, but like we don't really know, at least I don't, how Luke feels about this. Like we know how Anakin took it, but I don't know how Luke is training his little Jedi babies. Like, do they get to see their families? I don't know. And so, no. I, right. I mean, <laughs> I wouldn't very think much, so. I don't think. I wouldn't uh, Leia kind of can send messages, but I mean, Kylo is her son and Luke is her brother. So I think that's kind of an exceptional thing, but even they don't communicate very much. Like th all throughout Bloodline, Leia's like, I wonder what Luke and Ben are up to. I should maybe try and contact them. Or I haven't heard from Luke and Ben in a while. Like they don't effing communicate. 
It's really obnoxious. Like, and Luke and Legends is like, let's all get married and have babies. This is fine. <laughs> yeah, I just don't know, like, how Din is going to react to that because he doesn't know really anything about the Jedi code or the Jedi way. He knows about his cult way. Neither does Luke. <laughs> Luke doesn't know anything either. <laughs> right. So, you know, I just hope they don't take away all of that emotional investment that I have in Din and Grogu together, mm -hmm. even if, if even if they're apart. That's all. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. So we'll see. No, we will see. I hope he comes back. I hope that promise is real. But let's move on. Andrews, you had a little look. We want to look at plot developments for the end of this season. We have a couple of cool things that have happened. Yes, we have. So the first half of the season was very much just dedicated to this overarching quest that Din was on. Find the Jedi to reunite Grogu with his people. And then the second half saw the ultimate culmination of that quest. Um, not without a few bumps along the way. First, he had to meet Ahsoka Frigantano, um, introducing her to us in live action and setting up her spinoff. Right. And then to push the narrative of the series forward as a whole, we saw more interactions with that big bath moth Gideon um, as Grogu was captured after sitting on that scene, some on Tython, again, with some major, major World Between Worlds vibes, watch Rebels. Um, so the additional arc of rescuing him took up the later episodes of season two. Now that the show is set up for possible Grogula season three, Din is on this cruiser holding the Darksaber, and Bo-Katan still wanting it. A few other smaller plot points that may come up later on. Uh, Mayfeld did ultimately go free after sort of acting on his conscience in the end. Maybe Rangers of the New Republic? We don't know. Um, and they also did start a little bit of that moral discussion around like the ground troops of the Empire, which I think we would all be very interested in them exploring a little bit more, getting into the, a lot more of that moral ambiguity. Heck yeah, that's one of the topics that really interests me about this. I love when fantasy and sci-fi stories do this. They tackle the moral implications, not just of the villains, but the heroes. Like that's way more interesting to see, quote unquote, the good guys do bad things. Same as like, it's really fun to see the villains do good things. Yeah. It's just more interesting that way. Mayfield shooting Hess and destroying the base were symptoms of that kind of shattered conscience that he has, which made him so more complex as a character and made me want to invest in him. It was just cooler to see somebody from season one who was kind of a douche really come out here and come down on the side of the New Republic and quote unquote the good guys. Like, heck yeah, bring us more. Give us more of this stuff. I love it. So I think now it's time for us to take out our Kyber crystal balls and deliver some of our own predictions for season three and the book of Boba Fett. Um, that series seems to run in conjunction with Mando, which could be really, really fun. So, like, don't worry, folks. We have confirmed they are two separate shows. We repeat, they are two <laughs> separate shows. Um, I want to focus on The Mandalore Season 3 instead of The Book of Boba Fett. I think that we could really see, and I hope to see, so manifestation, this truth, that Moff Gideon was somehow involved in Mandalore culture. Whether or not he was an actual Mandalorian himself, I'm not sure, but I think it is totally plausible in light of every, everything we've seen, especially the last episode, him understanding some of the culture, him understanding how to get under Bo-Katan's skin. I could really see Moff Gideon having been a Mandalorian and somewhere in the culture to have understood everything that he was doing with the Darksaber. I would really like to see that. I find it to be compelling and I find it to be a plausible reason for why they would want to leave him alive um, because just him working for the big bad guys isn't 
enough for me. And I mean, we've also seen with Sabine a lot of experimentation and nasty, nasty weapons. So that's not necessarily Mandalorian exclusive, but it seems to fall in line with them being at the forefront of weapons and arsenals in in general i mean din is a walking armory it does not get better than what that guy is packing (laughs) so flo any additional predictions at all for either of them i mean my predictions are kind of just wild and more like what i want to see yeah do it do it girl again like i've said this before but what i would love to see now that luke is here and i have accepted this into my life uh is I want to see him training young Kylo so bad alongside Grogu. That's what I really want to see. I don't think we're going to see it, but I'm, again, putting it out there because I think that would be adorable. And who doesn't want to see young Kylo? I think that'd be... There are reports of a Skywalker series in development. I mean, I'm here for young Kylo. Just give me young Kylo. and <laughs> Give me Sebastian Stan. Give me. And give me baby Grogu right next to him. Love it. Uh, in terms of the book of Boba Fett, the only thing that I really want to see, and I really hope we get it, is Kira. I just need Kira. I need some Boba Fett interacting with Kira from Crimson Dawn. And yeah, and just make Solo 2 happen, you cowards. I love Solo. <laughs> <laughs> give us Kira I mean they're there right so like let's use them let's go (laughs) fully agree anything to add oh my yes (laughs) even though I don't think that Boba Fett I think it's going to be his rise as like this kind of crime lord on the outer rim I really hope it's more like a Robin Hood kind of crime lord oh that would be nice he's like out there he's making money like he's making money for himself and for Fennec they got to start a fam maybe but he also could be like taking out huts. He could be taking out Black Sun. We could get Kira from Crimson Dawn Remnant. Like that would be really cool. If Boba's just out there being like, I'm a badass who also just happens to be Robin Hooding up this joint. Like, yes, I would yeah, love be- that. So he's like mm-hmm. the anti-hero. There we go, Anders. We have one, we got one. <laughs> yes, Woo! we have one. We could have one anti-hero. I would love also, it. Just, and- tell, just tell me, you know, what he's been doing for the past several years yes yeah one like flashback if, at least to the sarlacc did, pit if bib fortuna had no idea that he was alive like in the same area of Tatooine that he is for the past several years i would like an explanation right oh. it seems like he was kind of obi-waning it up in the desert <laughs> yeah speaking of explanations i definitely also want to see in mandalore 3 an explanation for what happened with the dark saber and how it was taken away from bo katan yes. i really really hope and it. think we'll get to see that yeah yeah we desperately need that. Yeah, I think season three, Mando, is going to be that kind of philosophy war between Din and Bo-Katan on like a smaller sense, and probably between like the real, real, quote-unquote real Mandalorians and the Children of the Watch on a larger scale. Love to see recurring characters come back from Rebels. Ben Rao, please, Lord, give us Kevin McKidd in this role and have him be Bo's main squeeze because they would be stunning looking together. And I want Ursa Ren. I want Michelle Yao to come in and just be her badass mom self. Like crazy rich Asians slash discovery Michelle Yao. Bring her in. Yes, if I get, please. If we have a show with her and Ming-Na Wen like on screen together, I might just, my head might explode. We might all just, just die. <laughs> <laughs> just yes, please. Just give us all of the Mandalorian. And Anders, anything further from you, my dear? No, I don't think so. I think the only thing I really want out of the Book of Boba Fett is a little bit more of the back in 
information about what he's been up to. Um, and I mean, you know, set set up Fennec for her own show if she decides to ultimately take out Boba and take over herself. Like, I'm here for that. <laughs> but I think for anything else on Manda season three, I think I've already kind of covered in some of my other comments. So let's mm -hmm. move into Sarah, that defender of droids, the Droid Liberation Defense Organization. DL, DO. <laughs> <laughs> So to start things off, um, we got the Dark Troopers, and one interesting thing that I found on a video about them is that usually these guys are lightsaber protecting, and they could withstand at least Legends Dark Troopers um, could withstand lightsaber battles. So one of the things that we had absolutely loved seeing was Din being totally manhandled by these guys, and but for the best car armor, he would have been squished to a pulp. And so one of the critiques that I had had originally was just how easy it seemed for Luke to be able to cut through these guys. So in Legends, it might have been harder for Luke, but presumptively, even in Legends, they left the door open a little bit that it was possible, not improbable, for lightsabers to be able to cut through these guys. So if you're used to Legends, you might have found it a little bit more implausible than what the show had let on. Um, what else about these guys? Go ahead. The Dark Troopers? Yep. I thought it was interesting that they chose this to be Phase 3, where no human was inside the armor, whereas in Legends, Phase 3 is both a droid and a exoskeleton that a human humanoid could get into. Correct. So they kind of changed that a little bit, but they look so cool. Guys. Yep. They, mm -hmm. they looked awesome. I just wish they had more presence on the show in the long run, but I know it's expensive to do these effects too, so... Absolutely. Yeah, I would have liked them to have lasted a little bit longer, though it was great to see them come back from being blasted out into space. And you know who else was really great and a droid who we absolutely will defend? R2-D2! Seeing that guy, when you see Luke walk in, you know that that droid isn't too far behind, and it was truly endearing, and maybe a little bit too much nostalgia injected into our veins, but we don't care at all. Um, because it was very adorable to see Grogu meet R2-D2, maybe for the first time, although my little headcanon is that Grogu did recognize R2-D2 from some of the time at the Jedi Temple. Anything else about R2-D2 or other droids you all are looking forward to see in Mandalore Season 3? I'm hoping that we see a new droid entirely for Season 3. I really, really, really hope that they do bring some sort of droid into the focus for season three. Mm -hmm. I would love that. I think new they'll droid. have to, because I think getting rid of Grogu is going to get rid of like a lot of the cute. And so right. I, I think we may get like a cute little droid, maybe like a little Dio sort of droid. Thing. I love Dio. Dio is so cute. And honestly, Dio is like so small. He would be really cute next to Grogu. So that'd be really cute. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're going to need mean, it. Mandalore is going to be a rough go. <laughs> yeah. I think, I mean, I would love to actually see AP5 come in <laughs> at, some, at some point. But actually, Sarah, I just realized that there is a droid who's we technically need to recognize as having passed this season. Oh, no. Because with the destruction of the Razor Crest, who else was actually on board? Oh. Zero was on board. Oh. Still, his remains, because they That's plugged him in to, to boot him yes. up at one point. So... Pour one out for that guy. Pour one out. Pour one out for that guy. All the droids just 
It's getting iced. Mm. Yeah. So why don't we move on to, I've got a bad feeling about this, the Critics Corner. Colleen, why don't you get us started with this? Because I know this was something that you've been looking mm -hmm. forward to sharing with us all. Yeah, I, mm, <laughs> it's been rough since Friday <clears throat> for, for me for a couple reasons. I had a lot of really visceral reactions to some of the story choices that were made this season. So I have a lot of thoughts on this section and I know you guys do too. I just want to preface the criticisms that I have with the fact that these are my opinions. I'm not a Star Wars expert. I have no idea where the story is going. I have faith in Dave Filoni and John Favreau. These takes are just coming from my two decades. I've been a writer since I was like in the second grade, but really a quote, quote, writer, writer since I was 18. So two decades of writing experience. I've written two novels and my bachelor's in English. I have my master's in creative writing. That still doesn't make me an expert. No, no, keep flexing. Keep flexing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get to flex very often um, with this kind of thing. I have had a lot of experience in this field and I found that voicing my opinions that pertain to my field have led to a lot of very frustrating backlash. I'm really used to people saying kind of like whatever when it comes to my degree because it is in a creative field. Um, but it is my field. Like this is my field of study. I've spent a long time doing it. I've been on the front lines with other writers learning about narrative techniques, character development, and whether or not adverbs are the devil. And all of us, all four of us have our areas of expertise, our specific specialties. Duncan is also one of my specialties. Things that we <laughs> love and excel at and story building and story analysis just happen to be mine. So it's like, Sarah, you know, you're an artist. Flo, you're a teacher. Anders, you were a teacher. You know that we have our stuff that we know about thrown back in our faces. So that's just what I wanted to start with and be like, you know, we do know what we're talking about. Can I just stop you there for one second, Colleen? Because yeah. I just want to say that it seems like it's a lot of times women who have to preface things with all the degrees that we have and these things still get thrown back in our faces. I mean, we could just take a look at Dr. Jill Biden right now. So mm -hmm. telling us, telling women, telling Colleen that we don't get to have an opinion on something because we don't know enough is bullshit and you need to check your patriarchal you know, bullshit at the door <laughs> because like we're not here for it. And so, Colleen, thank you for just saying that, because I know that a lot of us have felt this way, um, especially since Friday, that like we're not allowed to have certain feelings because of who we are. Well, how we relate to stories is valid. So yes. thank and you. And it's very personal. And that's why people get really defensive about mm -hmm. the story choices. And if they loved Luke or if they did not love Luke, it's a very personal thing. And it is kind of objective it's a i mean it's creativity how can you analyze creativity it's like well you can that's what i've been doing for most of my life <laughs> but it that's why it's so hard to kind of have these arguments and why people think they can push back against you even though you do have a degree and they know you have a degree and they don't and they're still like well but my reason's more valid and you're like my dissertation says otherwise but fine <laughs> All right, I'm frothing at the mouth. You tell us, tell get us, it, get it. give us the okay. business. Here we go. All right, we got three rants. <laughs> we got three rants. We're going to start out with Ahsoka. Mm, we love her, but there is one problem. Our friend Sloane and I have been talking a lot about this ever since the Jedi episode aired. We were so excited to see Ahsoka. This was one of my favorite moments in the entire season in live action. 
And then she had to drag out the old moldy Jedi chestnut of attachments aren't good and Jedi can't have them. <clears throat> like, I get it. I get why Filoni had her say this story-wise because, of course, fans know about it. They're comfortable with it. This is something you can segue into. But come on, he wrote one of the most emotional Jedi in history, that kind of super empath as a Ridger, who overcame his quote-unquote attachments and was like, he was fine. He defeated Palpatine, resisted the urge to reunite with his parents who had died. He was in the world between worlds and could have pulled Kane and Juris out, but didn't. And Ahsoka was there. So right. she knows that Jedi can form attachments and still do their duty, do what's right. Um, that was just really frustrating then to have Ahsoka say this about Grogu, but also maybe she noticed too many similarities between Grogu and Anakin. Right. And that's what made her kind of pause and be like, wait a minute, this is different than Ezra. She saw the same fear and anger in our little, little shammy shake. And it was just too much, probably bringing up memories of her duel with Vader on Malachor and her failures there. <laughs> and because she was someone who had rejected these Jedi doctrines before, it really hurt my heart to hear her say it, though. Mm -hmm. Although it's more likely that this is her hiding from herself and being like, I can't train somebody and get attached to them because then what happened to Anakin might happen to me. So it does make sense. We just don't know it yet. I think we might get it at some point later when she becomes Ahsoka the White and kind of sheds this weird Jedi attachment thing. And Luke Skywalker too, out here being attached to people. <laughs> Seriously, the only reason he was able to turn Vader was because of familial attachment and love. Right. Only reason. If he had not been Vader's son, Vader would not have pitched Palpy over that protective barrier. First protective barrier we see. <laughs> and it doesn't do enough. And it doesn't do enough. He would have been dead. I mean, Luke would have been dead. Vader would have tracked him down and killed him unless he had found out that it was his son. Like, yeah, sure. Anakin's attachments to Padme and Shmi were part of his downfall, but the Jedi could have changed and adapted and been like, okay, here's an older person who has an attachment. Let's get a family counselor up in here. We have Jedi healers. Can we have a Jedi psychiatrist? Maybe. Just please, 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 please. Mm. So many times throughout Star Wars canon and Legends, the only thing that turns back the evil or the dark side is love. And it's not just that compassionate love that flows quoted Anakin on from Attack of the Clones, that's a good start, but that's a baseline. That's like an abstract that people really can't like, become a part of. It's really difficult to grasp. It's like, oh yes, I feel compassion for the world. Like, great, but what does that mean for yourself? Who can you attach that to? And I think that love of family, friends, partners is what really motivates heroes to defeat villains in these kind of stories. It's not compassion for the world. I mean, that is, that's a good start, a good helpful thing. Like Ezra, yes, cares about people in the galaxy, which is why he turns on Thrawn, but it's mostly because he's worried about his friends and the people of Lothal who he has an actual connection to. It's like very Harry versus Voldemort, kind of like the love, every sort of love defeats Voldemort. Like it's not just compassion, it's the love of a mother. It's the love of friends. It's the love of people that are romantically involved. You kind of need this. And I was just very frustrated 
to have this problematic Jedi idea thrown back in our faces basically by a character we thought was past it. Especially when Din again proved that loves Trump's creed when he takes off his helmet not once but twice in this season. Ahsoka's wrong here. And I think we'll find out that she knows she's wrong eventually. But just like the Jedi before her, she's kind of going down this path of stagnation and immovability that really needs to change. And I don't know if it does because Luke is still out there training people, Kylo Falls. I don't know if anybody besides Ahsoka maybe changes in this, but like, come on, quoting the Revenge of the Sith novel, love can ignite the damn stars, people, come on. Oh, that's one of my favorite quotes. That, that, that entire poem is one of my favorites. <laughs> I love it. Let's Do you guys have any thoughts on this? Sorry, I'm, I am full on rant mode, it's fine. <laughs> I'm I saying, wanna... oh, love sorry, can ignite the damn stars tattoos. Let's do it. <laughs> oh, that is a good one. That would be so cute. Sorry, what did uh, you want? <laughs> I was going to say, I think the only comment I think I have on that, on that rant is I think it's important for us to, to kind of clarify what, ultimately actually what we mean by love, because I think the downfall of Anakin wasn't necessarily that he loved Padme, I actually have questions about whether or not he actually truly did. Whoa. Because his... his, his into his, obsession. Exactly. It was a very twisted form of... It was a very form, twisted form of possessive love. And when it comes to love igniting the stars and the, that love that you mentioned that motivates heroes, you know, Ezra's a prime example. It's, it's I love you. I want you to proceed. I want, to, I want you to live whether or not I do actually doesn't matter. It's that sacrifice element that Anakin wasn't willing to do. Until the very end, until the very end, when it was Luke. Yes. I mean, <laughs> Flo, might, Flo might want to yeah. like jump through the computer and strangle me right Anakin, now, but. <laughs> Anakin is so tough because he loves so deeply. He does. And it's not just Padme, it's Obi-Wan and Ahsoka. And he just has that personality that I think if he had a shrink, helping him along and being like, yes, you can get married and have a family. We just need to have a marriage counselor come in and assist <laughs> with this. It could yeah. have been different if they had at least embraced all of who Anakin was instead of trying to strip away pieces of who he was. But yes, his edging into possessiveness of Padme in the Clone Wars with Rush Clovis also is yeah. not a good look for Anakin at all. Okay. I am about to strangle you for saying <laughs> we can that. we can come back to the strangling also. <laughs> Let me put in a note. Flo wants to strangle Anders. <laughs> I it's just it's very Wow. I mean, I'm sorry. Can I just say something really fast about it? There we yeah. go. <laughs> when would Anakin have learned what love looks like between a man and wife? Yeah. Very true. He was raised only by Shmi. Who honestly like was kind of weird anyways, like just kind of a weird duck. And then was nine when he got sent to the Jedi Temple for training where they're not allowed to love, basically. And then had met one girl who was older than him, who was super hot. If you saw Natalie Portman, you'd be obsessed too, okay, bitch? I'm not I'm not denying, I'm not denying any of that. <laughs> so I mean the poor kid really had no chance. And he no. did love Padme best he could. He loved his mom a lot. Mm -hmm. It was absolutely heart-wrenching when she died, and he could do nothing to save her after these horrific nightmares where he looked really hot. 
pro nightmares. This is a pro nightmare pod. <laughs> oh, and when Ahsoka leaves, it devastates oh, yeah. him. It and does. the war, I mean, three years of war, they're all suffering from certain forms of PTSD at this point. Like, there's a reason Obi-Wan is not catching a lot of things and why Yoda and Mace aren't on the ball. It's because they've all been in battle for three years. Like, there's a Definitely. reason they, that Palpatine is out here being like, let's perpetuate the war. We're going to destabilize the Jedi super easily by attacking them psychically and psychologically instead of full on, because that is how he defeats them, is by breaking their morale and kind of breaking their very stiff beliefs in all these doctrines. And poor Anakin's out here being like, I just want to love my wife, guys. Anakin is a great human who just really <laughs> loved his life. Also, like, for any freaking um, One Tree Hill heads, the quote, people yep. always leave, that shit really applies to Anakin. Like, yes. everybody has left him. Yes. He's got nobody in his life. He's so afraid that Padme is going to leave and he's going to be all alone again and he doesn't know how to deal with that. So the poor guy, honestly, I feel for him. I'm just saying, and I'm going to put it out here just right now, just today. Anakin can force choke me daddy any fucking day <laughs> of the week. And Padme is a lucky, lucky lady. Okay. Second point for our Critics Corner. We talked about this in our last deep dive quite a bit. Are Easter eggs and returning characters a problem? Hmm. I think, Anders, you gave a fantastic loop breakdown in our character study section. Yeah. And we also attempted to answer Sarah's questions. But here's the rub. When is one Skywalker too many? Or the same one. Or the same one. That's probably, there's, there's only a couple Skywalkers, you guys. We just have a couple. Our friend Tori. Let's take the name. Ray. Yeah, any, anybody can be a Skywalker. You just have to say, I'm a Skywalker. It's a creed. It's not a bloodline. It's a creed. So many Skywalkers. I mean, the Chiss would also say the Skywalker is like a job. It's not a person. <laughs> but, you know, you guys, our, our friend Tori, who is a Luke stan, was asking if the disappointment from the Luke reveal had to do with the sequels and because Ben Solo destroys the temple and whether this is like a Grogu, Grogu kind of fear that Ben Solo may have inadvertently killed Grogu and that's why we didn't like Luke coming back. Nope. Nope. No. <laughs> At least for us, that's not what it was. It could be a little bit of like Skywalker oversaturation or Skywalker fatigue. We like Luke as a character. He's a good guy. He's, he's funny. He's handsome. He knows how to wield that lightsaber. He does a good job. But he's never really been our favorite. <laughs> he's very vanilla, I want to say. Even all through reading Legends, Luke shows up a lot. And I'm like, yeah, it's Luke. But I'm more excited about other characters who are off doing other things. And it's not just Luke. I love Han and Leia, but whenever they show up in the book, I'm kind of like, what are their kids doing? Or what's Admiral Akbar up to? I'd much rather see somebody who doesn't get very much spotlight. Mm -hmm. And I loved that the Mandalorians seemed to be outside that kind of quote unquote main character sphere of influence, that the creators are bringing in established characters, but the ones who hadn't had a chance to shine yet in live action. That part is like cool. We we got like what Anders fifteen minutes of Boba Fett in the movie, something around there. In the movie, less than that, honestly. And like he literally seven minutes, maybe? He, Boba Fett. Boba Fett says almost nothing and literally does almost nothing. Yeah. He does like zero of the work yeah. in 
in the original trilogy, he he figures out where that the Falcon is going to Cloud City. Right. But then Darth Vader's the one who actually goes. Does everything. Yeah. He's a <laughs> delivery captures boy. Captures Han, puts him in carbonite, and loads him into Boba's ship. Yeah. And then the only thing Boba does during <laughs> Return of the Jedi is get eaten by the Sarlacc. Right. So it makes sense. Like, Bring him in. He hasn't had a chance to do anything yet. What was going to say, Flo? I feel like we see a lot more of like young Boba than old Boba. We do. Young Boba <laughs> in the Clone Wars is hysterical he's like this kind of whiny kid he's a little lukish actually but he has a reason to be whiny because freaking mace windu chopped off his dad's head <laughs> so, in front of him in front of him rough and he was a wee boy so he has a reason to have this kind of chip on his shoulder and go on his own little kind of arc throughout clone wars so i wasn't i didn't mind when boba came back it's like there's nothing we don't have anything on boba luke is the son like the literal son of star wars son s-u-n and s-o-n of Star Wars, everything revolves around him or can be pulled out of orbit by him. And most of the conversation, this pod included, has revolved around Luke and the Luke reveal. And I I really wanted it to be more about Din's loss and his sense of emptiness and despair now that he's lost his son and gained a freaking weapon and apparently is a leader of a people that he doesn't know anything about. I'd much rather be focused on that but the Luke question looms, like Anders said, it's the elephant in the room. And it's a big freaking elephant. It's not like one of those cute little mini elephants. It's giant freaking Luke elephant in the room. And I, I was also mad because Luke could have broken the chain of the Jedi kind of babysitter cycle of stealing or quote unquote stealing. Oh, you just need permission to take the child from their parent. He could have asked him to go along and be there for Grogu during his training. He could have, but no, <laughs> can't do that. I like old man Luke being like, let's burn those books. Let's restart. The Jedi need to end the way that they are. It needs to begin anew. I loved that. Bring Me that too. Luke on. And it wouldn't make sense for Luke to be like that now because he's not. This is Luke who wants to reestablish the Jedi Order as it was. And I also feel like Anders was right the writers wanted to plot the easiest course to get Grogu off the board. They had to, so that Din could go and do other things. Otherwise, he is the focus. He's like Luke, kind of in that way, except we don't know as much about Grogu. But he is kind of like the people's attention focus on Grogu. So yes, he needed to be taken off the board. But to me, it just felt like a lazy choice. My writing professors and my mentor for my dissertation would have called it a narrative crutch. They would have been like, it's too easy. It's too cliche. Come back to me with another draft. And I would have been like, <laughs> I don't want to write another draft, but fine. And Filoni and Favreau have earned the right not to write another draft. That's fine. They have the kudos and the credit to do this. It just was like, they brought in a character who has this huge amount of fan backlogged history. And it's a useful tool when you need to cover a lot of material in a short time span. Does it work? Yes. Is it elegant? Not really. It's like, you're getting the job done. You're slapping a two by four on it. And it, it, that's fine. It's sturdy. It keeps the shit going. It's not very interesting, though. It's just kind of like a block of wood. And also, we were basically hit over the head with Luke, like, getting hit by a two by four. So, like, mm, wasn't my favorite. I understand why they did it. <sighs> I feel better about the Luke reveal than I do about the thing we're going to be talking about later. <laughs> what do you guys think? Any other thoughts on Luke? 
or nope. I know we've I've said my lot. piece. Yeah, <laughs> I think we I think we really covered it. So and he's like, oh no, I'm the only one that likes Luke. <laughs> no, 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 it's not even. It's not that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just think I we've covered it very well. <laughs> yeah, I think we've done that. And I kind of agree with you on this, on that. I definitely agree with you on the whole, like, burn the books, like, the Jedi. That was one of the great promises of The Last Jedi, is that this is going to, this particular cycle, this particular chapter is closing, and what opens up will be something new, will be something different. Mm -hmm. And then Ray takes the name Skywalker. Yeah. <laughs> it would have been a new chapter. Could have been a new chapter. I'm yeah, I mean, and I think I said this on the last pod that we talked about this, but for me, it was the, that same disappointment again. It was that disappointment when Ray takes the name Skywalker, which like, yes, it was fine. Like, it was fine. It was an okay choice. And then to have that choice again with the Skywalkers in this one, it was just like double whammy hit. Like, okay, again, again, like we can't do anything else. My Big Critics Corner actually has to do with something that you just mentioned. And it's that they used Luke because they had to cover that material in a short time span. And so my issue is the pacing. So. <laughs> Get it, Flo. Buckle in. But <laughs> I feel like, I'm going to keep this short and sweet, honestly, because I feel like I've said a lot about the pacing as we've gone through episode by episode. They had to use Luke because they did not, I think, in my opinion, use their time wisely throughout the season. I think we saw episodes, even just at the very beginning, that were such convoluted side missions that, yes, they, they helped with the, the main mission. I understand that. But they did not have to be the whole episode. Like, a whole episode of Ice Spiders while thrilling for sure definitely thrilling a great horror sequence definitely and i don't want to take anything away from anybody who worked on those episodes they were stunning absolutely stunning but when you know that you only have a certain number of episodes and only a certain amount of minutes per episode i just wonder if some of those minutes could have been better used to you know, explain things a little bit more, whether that be about the Darksaber or about Moff Gideon or about, you know, Grogu's abilities or about Din and Grogu's relationship or even like more Ahsoka or more Beskar talk, you know, something that would actually like m move our understanding forward. Like I didn't need to see Frog Lady in the hot tub with spiders. I don't feel like that really increased my knowledge of Star Wars in any way. That sounds awful. <laughs> like, I, I don't, I don't want to be the person who is so negative because it was beautiful, but it was useless in every other way. And I don't know how to say that more kindly. Like, I wanted... superfluous. Exactly. It was, it was superfluous. In a way, like, they're not writing fan fiction. They don't have unlimited pages to give us where it can just be like, yeah, give me 17 chapters on this Ice Spiders. Like, totally fine if that's what you want to read or watch or do. But when you're only given this amount of time, I need it to move forward faster. And I think my big critique this whole season was, this is taking forever. Why are we on a side quest again? And I really felt that at the end of the season where it's like, wait, wait, wait. 
now there's a bunch of information to download and we don't have the time for it when I needed it. It's a similar critique to how many people felt about the last two Game of Thrones seasons, where it's just like, everything just moved really fast and spoiler, all of a sudden Bran is king. <laughs> okay, I don't know how we got- the best story flow. <laughs> he, he did. You know what, who's got a better story, Colleen, frankly? The guy that they wrote out of an entire season. Well, exactly. <laughs> I mean, like, that's what I'm saying though, is where, where was the explanation? Where was the backstory? Where was the legwork? on what happened at the end. I, what if we had seen more dark trooper action? What if I was actually way more scared of them than I was? That's that what would I would have wanted. Awesome. That would have been amazing. What you if know? Luke actually had to work for it? I mean, yes, it looked cool that he had blew through them, but if he had actually had to fight, I think that would have looked cooler. Here's and it would have been more consistent with Legends. <laughs> and my final critique really in this is I feel like a lot of legwork was done in the first season to make Moff Gideon look really, really evil and bad and like very menacing, especially in that standoff in the cantina mm -hmm. area where he was outside and they were in and it was, it was very, very tense there. Mm -hmm. And then in this season, it was very Night King season eight. It was like, he gets one scene, he pulls out the dark saber, he starts fighting Din and then he's just like, meh, I lost. Now I'm going to sit here on the ground and laugh at you for seven minutes or whatever. <laughs> like, he just didn't feel menacing and beating him was too fast and didn't really amount to much besides him getting the Darksaber. Who, he doesn't even, he doesn't want it. He's, yeah, he's John Snow He doesn't want it. He doesn't want it. I don't want it. So, I, I don't know. I just feel like the pacing issues were there and were problematic and really affected my enjoyment of the season regardless of how much I like being in the world. I feel like there were just big gaps that were not filled in the proper way. <laughs> and I don't know if you guys have similar critiques but or commentary on that because I know you guys really liked a lot of those episodes so it's fine if you. I can, I can feel Anders. I can feel him. Well, no, so, I mean, I think I'm just, and I'm actually going to frame this response actually as more of a prediction. Okay. Because I think, I think your critiques there are completely valid that the mission to get Frog, Loot, Frog Lady to her husband took two episodes. Yeah. <laughs> now, I am personally in the camp of, I will take a three hour cut of just Frog Lady hanging out in the tub, in the tub with the ice spiders. But that's, that's me. That's like what I want. That's one of the things that I want out of this show. Like, you know, talking about Game of Thrones season eight, yeah, like in the in the first few seasons of that show, the Great Council scene where Bran does become king would have been at least two episodes. Yeah. One full one of them all coming together and another full one of the council and it was a five minute scene. <laughs> and that, yes, I am absolutely with you on that in terms of moving that story forward. I think that there will be more critiques like like yours as we move forward, not only with this show, but with the several others that we have. Because right now, better or worse, like in terms of new Star Wars content, this show is what we have. So it's the only thing that we can all focus on. Like once you've expanded out and they have all, they have 10 or 12 or even however many more projects like up in the air all at once, then they will be able to have the ones that are much more plot driven, 
and move in that kind of a much faster paced type way serialized and the ones that are just mainly to sit there and be in the world like that. Right. So I think, yeah, they are absolutely 100%, I think, trying to straddle this line and everyone's everyone's different in their, what they're expecting and what they want out of it. And that's an entirely valid thing. That was me mansplaining to all of you <laughs> ladies. <laughs> no, you were not. You were part of a team who critiques things and yeah. that was an excellent, excellent rebuttal to Flo's critique. I, I, I don't, I would not consider that mansplaining. I don't feel like you told me I was wrong because I don't know Star Wars because of my vagina. <laughs> yep. Colleen, why don't you tell us about your uh, last and final critique? Mm, this is the, the big one for me, you guys. This is the one I had the most trouble with. What the F is up with Bo-Katan and the Darksaber nonsense? Mm. I have more than questions about the situation. I was livid when this happened. Let's push aside like all of our knowledge of Bo-Katan, go in fresh as like a viewer who hasn't watched Clone Wars or Rebels, like Flo, our beautiful Flo, <laughs> our princess, our princess of prequels. Does Gideon's Darksaber exposition download make sense? I think it did to Flo. Flo's like, yeah, I get it. This is a badass Mandalorian lady. She wants to bring her people together, but apparently she needs a magic sword to do it. And then Din mocked everything up by winning it from Gideon. So, oh no, whatever will she do? Instant inter-allies conflict. <gasps> my stars. Oh my. So easy. But unfortunately, there is a lot of content out there about Bo and her journey. She's on this like really cool redemption arc where she was a terrorist. She was second in command to chief terrorist Pre Vizsla. She's done a lot of terrible things that she needs to atone for. And when it comes to the Darksaber, She's all for like following the blade, but I think it's more like following the person. We saw her turn against Maul instantly when he won, and he technically won it correctly from mm -hmm. a Mandalorian <laughs> in single combat. So it's not like the rules can't be ignored or changed. Otherwise, all of Death Watch would have been like, nah, we don't like you, Maul. You're not a Mandalorian. We don't accept you. But half of them did accept him. So she has been an outlier before. It would have made perfect sense here if she had been like, yep, I'll just take the saber from you, Din. Not maybe the most interesting narrative-wise, but she could have done it. And she accepted it before once from Sabine on Rebels. So what's changed? We need to know what's changed. Why is tradition suddenly important to her? Is Gideon basically using herself dead against her? Is this decision she's making because it's in front of witnesses? Even though there's not that many witnesses, it's just a couple. Nobody believes Gideon anyway. No one cares what Gideon says. So it could be, she could have just taken it, you guys. Story-wise, I'm all for Bo having PTSD from the Purge and learning how to cope with it next season, a couple seasons. I would love for her to get to explore the trauma that happened to her. Have that like long, dark night of the soul. Interesting. Yes, please give it to me. I want her to have this like personal journey of discovery to finally believe that she's worthy of the Blade. She's had it once, She's ruled Mandalore twice. I want her to believe that she's worthy of it. But to have her journey usurped by a male character and one who has zero clue what's going on and really doesn't give a shit about the saber or restoring Mandalore to its people, it's really unsettling as a female viewer to see this happen. At least Gideon knew. He knew what he took from her. He knew exactly what was happening. And this is, it reminded me a lot of like Daenerys like we've talked about, Game of Thrones, at the end, her Mad Queen arc that kind of, they built it kind of up, but in the end it was very rushed, came out of nowhere. 
And at least Jon Snow had some leadership experience. He's from a noble house. He knows how to lead. He knows how to fight. He knows how to be a leader of men slash women slash everyone. Like he's got at least some street cred. Din is just some freaking dude who walked in on the street and suddenly a female leader, leader can't rule now because a random came in and took the Darksaber. That was kind of infuriating for me. Din can't take care of himself, let alone an entire people. No, he seems like an okay guy. He's cool, but come on, no. Bo is already a leader. She shouldered this burden before that she didn't want. More than once, she's been brought down more than once. And now when she's more determined than ever to unite her people, take back their home, she wants it too much? Mm-mm, that's some bullshit. No, 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 no. How many times does she have to be humbled in order to be worthy of ruling? Just, no. And she does have a legitimate claim to the throne. As Moff Gideon knows, he's afraid of her and her power. And the power she could possess. Shocking. Amen. Sorry, Anders, we love you. <laughs> Gonna throw that out there. A man being afraid not, of a woman getting and keeping power. <laughs> I know, but sometimes it's like, poor Anders, like, it's okay, everything's fine. Din is from, Din, Bo is from one of the highest noble houses on Mandalore. She's proven herself before. She might have lost faith in, her, faith in herself. And there is a precedent for her to rule. So this could happen. She could heave off this dark saber, Mandalorian cultural yoke, and make something new. Mandalore could use a change. Like, please let's have the seasons kind of go towards this. Let's have her be like, you know what? Fuck the Darksaber. I don't need it. I can rule. I am the person that Mandalore needs. Let's do this. And yes, this is a quote-unquote woman thing. Thanks for all of the dudes who have asked me this. Because yes, it is. There's a legitimate reason why this continues to be a problem. Bo's sister Satine was already fridged to help along Obi-Wan's emotional plot journey. Same thing happened to Steel Guerrera in Clone Wars, Jyn Erso's mother in Rogue One, Padme frickin' Amidala, who died of a broken heart in the prequels. Is Leia the only one that can survive? Nope. She dies so that Kylo Ren, Ben Solo, can live for a few more hours. Mm, I'm surprised Amira didn't bite it in Mando Season 1, to be real. Women and girls shouldn't have to get unreasonably excited when they see lady superheroes take the scene in Avengers Endgame. We shouldn't have to be crying because a freaking island of women unload on fascists in Wonder Woman. We shouldn't have to gape and wonder. And there have been already memes about this as four badass ladies take out an Imperial cruiser and wreck the place because we literally haven't seen it before. I'm really glad these things are happening now. Really, really glad. Yes, please, let's make it happen. But so much more work needs to be done. If everyone fully think it's okay, Mm. For Din to need to teach Bo how to lead for their narrative to work, I'm not here for that. That's going to piss me off royally. Let's bring women creators into this conversation if this is where we're going. Bryce Dallas Howard, she directed the Eris episode with Bo and captured her really well. And I think Favreau and Filoni know these things. They have a lot of female creators on their side. So I'm hoping for a great outcome to the story. I'm hoping, crossing my fingers, please, Lord. Do not make this about Din getting to roll Mandalore by taking it away from a capable female ruler, please no. So if this Darksaber Inheritance crap furthers Bo's emotional plot, 
didn't get to learn a few life lessons. Like, sure, Din needs to learn some life lessons, y'all. Doesn't end in Bo's death. Worker just handing over her people's future to some random off the street. Let's check this plotline out, please. Otherwise, no thanks. We women have been there, done that. We've seen it before. I, I just want to say one quick point, and that is that I cried at that scene in Avengers Endgame in yes. the theater. because I, I in Wonder Woman. I had never seen anything like that in media. And it was really, really, really powerful to see all the girls be like, yeah, we got this. And it was huge. And I, I don't, I hope that men like Anders and my husband, obviously, like who are feminists and who respect women, like they understand that that's a big deal, but there's a lot of men out there. I mean, we've experienced them this week as we've been fighting the good fight for this season of the Mandalorian who still don't realize that like this is not a a common thing that we get to see in culture still to this day and so to have these tropes continue that women should just like be pushed aside for men to have whatever they want it's very painful I'm with you a hundred million percent obviously I don't have the same emotional attachment to Bo at all Um, and I, I do think that she will eventually get to rule if she doesn't I will take to the streets with you. I think it's time for us to move on to our best, best car award. (laughs) They're just making me say this because they know it's going to make me laugh. So here's the question. (laughs) (laughs) Who did the best outer rim job? (laughs) Who did it, Colleen? Let's hear it. I love to hear about all the rim jobs. So many outer rim jobs. And this is like actors, creators, people involved with the story. Like, yes, Favreau Filoni, we give you all the props already. So this time we're going to give it to Bill Burr. Yeah. Makes may have Absolutely. himself. Where the hell did he pull this performance from, you guys? I don't know. What planet is Mayfield from? Where is Space Boston? Right? Exactly. And he has gone on his podcast and ranted against Star Wars. And yet here he is twice in a Star Wars property. Maybe he'll be back. Because this performance was amazing. Fantastic. The intensity of that cafeteria scene, his acting relationship with Pedro Pascal and Richard Blake. Fantastic. That was like some Hans Landa level stuff. Like, bring it. Bring it. I had no idea he had none of them. Zero. I was like, you're a comedian. (laughs) Yes, you could probably do drama. But the last episode, he's just like, kind of the the dude bro, Imperial, who's mad that Mando thinks he's a star star trooper. (laughs) But then this episode just came out of nowhere. I was like, this might be my favorite episode of the season. Like, I this also is the want, one. I also want to give an honorable mention to the music crew. Like, everything about oh, the music yes. was absolutely yes. fantastic. Yes. And, and you know what? We'll also give it to the digital crew as another honorary mention. Um, watch the gallery, I think it is, to see how they did the setup for the sets. But, like, the yes. imagery and the music in and of itself was a character onto itself. Season two gallery start, should premiere, I think the day this episode drops or the day before this episode drops. Awesome. So, so. Yes. And I will say, I mean, I, I agree with you, Colleen. I'm absolutely giving it to Bill Burr. Like that performance was outstanding. Amazing. Do you want to give my an honorable mention here to Rosario Dawson for the Ahsoka? Just yeah. to bring a character that has such a deep history with so many of the fans, but also bringing her to fans who have never seen her before in the middle of, I mean, we addressed it a little bit on our, um, on our pod about that episode, the, um, 
her kind of personal controversy that's going through right now, of which I want to say she addressed, I think, very well. She didn't go the just straight up deny, 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 how dare you even ask me about it, <laughs> which to me was refreshing to see a celebrity not take that route. <laughs> The white lightsabers. I'm, I always, I will always get chills. <laughs> I'm, already, so, I'm getting chills just thinking about this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. I still give it to Bill Burr, but <laughs> should we get all up in there now and talk about the inner rim job? <laughs> yes, we should. <laughs> okay, so the question is, excited. which character won the season for you, Colleen? Oh, for me, Boba Fett won this season. <laughs> is there anyone else sitting on a throne at the end? I don't think Fennec. so. Fennec, Fennec oh, is. Fennec. And Fennec. she is sitting Fennec higher is than him with Which a drink. Important. Like, <laughs> Fennec, I think, is actually going to be the brains behind the operation because we love Boba. He has spirit. He has can-do attitude. But I don't know if he inherited Django's good sense. <laughs> we love you, Boba. We love you so much. Not only did Tamara Morrison pull off this really difficult role, Boba Fett showed just why he's the most feared bounty hunter in the galaxy. He was ruthless yet honorable, shocking, efficient, and great teammate. Again, shocking. He works <laughs> alone. <laughs> Working really well with people. I love his bond with Fennec. I think that's going to be really cool in their series. Both of them are on that equal footing or Fennec higher, as Andrew said, working together very seamlessly. Fennec's like, go get your ship. You're going to blow it up next. And he's like, all right. And he just kind of flies I mean, Given away. her cybernetics, he technically made her. Yes, that's true. He saved her life. I mean, I think they kind of saved each other's lives, which is going to be interesting moving forward. And as our friend Joe Warner said, he's now rooting for that little shit whenever he watches Clone Wars. <laughs> I mean, on top of that, he's getting his own spinoff. Right. Yep. There has been official confirmation that the Book of Boba Fett, that thing teased at the end of that stinger, is actually an independent show coming in December 2021, in addition to Mandalorian Season 3. There's a ton of fan speculation on the internet whether or not this was going to be the original Season 3, if like there were some contract disputes with Pedro Pascal, and maybe that, you know, this finale here would have kind of set the Din Grogu story aside, and then we move into a different Mandalorian. I'll whatever ultimately we are getting next december guys we are going to be super busy <laughs> at bgs because we are going to have two star wars shows running in december 2021 let's go <laughs> or at least like first boba and then immediately afterward yeah we're not we're not going to be able to take a break because mandalorian season three premieres christmas day 2021 <laughs> i'm just gonna quit my job you guys <laughs> I gotta buy a new computer for all this editing. My computer's gonna blow up. <laughs> We're gonna have a break at least between. <laughs> yes. Uh, also worth noting, yes, Fennec is going to be back in the Bad Batch. Ming-Na Wen is voicing the character. Yes. Very cool. I love how I love how she called out like Filoni for like. Dave Filoni was like, "Why would you spoil that?" And he was like, "You should." She was just like, "You shouldn't have put me in the trailer if you didn't want me to spoil that." Like it's right the there, fans have eyes. <laughs> You're talking about Star Wars fanboys. Do you think they don't have you think they don't have an eye for that sort of thing? And that's where we'll leave it today. We will be releasing our Master and Apprentice listener questions as a separate episode coming soon as our holiday holiday gift to you. Thank you so much for being with us and come back next time where we continue exploring other geeky topics. You can enjoy us in our podcast or YouTube format. Either way, please smash that subscribe button and leave us five-star reviews. 
Check out our website at Bohemian Geek Studies where you can watch all of our episodes, enjoy Colleen's book corner where she's reviewing Star Wars literature, and contact us through email and social media. And as always, keep telling other nerdy knights to join us and tell us what you think in the comments below if you're listening on YouTube because that really does help. Until next time, Beskar Spear and Dark Sabers up and keep those episodes streaming. Bye, everyone. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.